I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better and dating safer. They've changed. So you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hi, I'm Tegan. And I'm Madigan. And you're listening to Your Angry Neighborhood Feminist. This is a podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist perspectives. That was your last time saying that. I'm sorry. I'm not going to say stuff the whole time because I'm not going to cry. No, I am going to cry. Uh, yeah. For sure. But we uh, have two episodes to get through. Yeah, I'm really struggling. I was really struggling writing my notes. It's very sad. So <laughs> I'm going to try and make it through this episode with as few tears as possible. Yeah. Uh, no guarantees on the full length. Right. I was like expecting in my head when I was taking notes. I'm like, I feel like it's okay if we go a little long. Whatever. Yeah. You know, we're just going to like let ourselves go today. Yeah. We're doing uh, the best we can. <laughs> <laughs> I would say I'll hold your hand through it, but we have champagne and a phone and we're a little far away. It's kind of hard to like hold hands. Yeah. It's it's sad. You know, I'm struggling with it. You know, my routine has been the same for almost every week. I mean, there have been moments where we've taken a week or two off here or there. There Uh, was like one time that we took like two months off and that was our longest stretch of Mm -hmm. like not doing anything. Right. So it's been pretty constant for like, it's been over four and a half years now because our anniversary was January. Yes. So, uh, you know, you get into habits of like, I know when I need to start my notes. I know how to structure everything. Yep. And I was writing my notes today and it's just like, I don't know when I'm going to do this next. It's well, okay. I And I said this at the end of the episode last week too. Like I'm going to pull you whenever I can I onto a microphone. So while like this is like the last official whatever, like I'll make you do notes and research in the future. Like if that's what you want. Yeah. <laughs> every once in a while, like once every couple months, I'll be like, psst, psst. You want, 
want to do it. Come on. <laughs> oh, gosh, I know. I know. I know that um, this isn't like the end. I'll be back to guest or, you know, whenever you need me for anything. Or, yeah. But it's still sad. I know. Anyway, anyway, okay. we have right. a job to uh, do. Uh, we uh, still uh, have a job to do. Uh, I did want to talk about the fact that it is hurricane season. Right Who now. is it ever? Yeah, so hurricanes have been raging throughout Florida, Puerto Rico, Cuba, and the Dominican Republic. Hurricane Ian made landfall on Florida's southwestern coast. Uh, it's a near category five hurricane. It was yeah. near category five strength on Wednesday afternoon. Uh, with sustained winds of up to 150 miles per hour and like massive storm surges, it knocked out the power and uh, killed at least two people in Cuba during that very first Ugh, uh, terrible. storm surge. Yes. Over a million in Florida have lost electricity so far, while the city of Fort Myers took a near direct hit as Ian blew ashore with footage showing houses in the area detached from their foundations yeah, and drifting it, in the, the flood. It looks like a ghost town in some of those cities. Like, it's really sad how a lot of these places have either... I was watching it on the Weather Channel earlier yeah. today. We were like, some good non-biased... Yes, the weather channel weather all weather all the time <laughs> exactly yeah. and the first anchor was in an area that was like super flooded and then like you know over to you Jen and she was like in a very dry but windy windy area like we were looking at completely uprooted trees into homes yeah. and things like that do you did you have the experience growing up in the Midwest with a lot of like tornado drills and yes. tornadoes and stuff yes I never experienced like a full touchdown tornado, but we would get like big funnel clouds that would yeah. still fuck shit up. Yeah. Very what scary. Was, did you ever get like a full like tornado? So not in the area where we lived. So in the area where we lived in Springfield, for some reason, tornadoes just didn't really hit that part. You were of right town. off Tornado Alley. <laughs> yeah. <couldn't> be <laughs> it's like it would hit the south side of town uh, okay. more often or it would hit like towns kind of further east okay but where we were it didn't really hit but we still got because it was hitting in in other parts of the city you got the winds yeah and we still got the warnings like all the tornado sirens and we still when i first moved to the midwest i still did the like go into the basement kind of thing we had a fruit cellar it was like a tiny like i never went in there unless i had to and it was terrifying but it was like a tiny little shed that was completely you know surrounded in concrete and things like that that would keep us safe but yeah um, it's so funny because like you know how most kids when they watch the wizard of oz growing up it's like the flying monkeys or the witch that scares them it was tornadoes for me like living through the midwest being a fan of the wizard of oz hearing a tornado siren i would immediately start sobbing and be in panic because i was like this is death to us all well tornadoes are really scary because they're so kind of like unpredictable like they can kind of go anywhere right you know what I mean and yeah. like they could hit and completely destroy one house and, and the house they're moving around and yeah be completely fine you know so it that is one thing about tornadoes hurricanes now I've never <sighs> experienced a hurricane neither have I the water aspect of that is right the very terrifying power me. of water and also I think it is a little less unpredictable in terms of like if it's coming, it's coming for the entire area. It's not yeah. like it's gonna hit one house and not hit another house. Like it's flooding huge, massive areas, and like the destruction that water can do to your infrastructure, like the fact that it's taking down power lines, you know, is. Oh, I've seen videos of people's furniture floating out the front door. Yes, it's, 
terrible. So they're calling it a 500-year flood event. 911 centers in the area have been just completely inundated with callers who are experiencing life-threatening emergencies. They're stuck in their attics because they just kept going up and up and up in their houses. Or they're stuck on the roofs of buildings. Yeah. And the exact number of injuries and fatalities is not known right now, but I do know that the storm kind of subsided slightly and then today, just now, it got bumped back up to like hurricane status. So okay. it's bad again and the number of deaths is climbing as they're figuring out like just how bad it is. Yeah. So obviously this is devastating. Um, Meanwhile, as Hurricane Ian batters Florida, Puerto Ricans who are still suffering power and water outages from Hurricane Fiona, which was earlier this month, fear that they're going to be forgotten in the wake of Hurricane Ian and the devastation that's happening in Florida. So in addition to the recent devastation in Puerto Rico, Puerto Ricans are still experiencing lingering effects from the damages from Hurricane Maria back in 2017. You remember whenever Trump was like throwing. I remember Lin-Manuel Miranda being around a lot during Uh that time. He did a lot of like raising awareness for it. And yeah, like Hamilton that. Yeah. was still kind of like a big deal. And, yeah. And it was like Trump went down there and remember he was just like th- like throwing uh, paper towels yes. at people. And he, he drew that Sharpie map. Where yeah. he was yes. Like, where he was like this. Oh my is, God, I forgot about that. that he just redrew the map and he's just like, see, it's not a problem. It's like just because you, you draw Sharpie on something doesn't make it not an issue anymore. It just sucks because like I want to laugh at that, but it's so it's real people. devastating. It's the same thing with the first thing I thought of when I heard that the hurricane's name was Ian. I just pictured a big frat boy uh-huh. wreaking well, havoc. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> I <cut that> <laughs> rejected, rejected, rejected. Cutting it out, cutting it out, cutting it out. Uh, <laughs> On your last episode, just like <laughs> dropping. About to flame everybody. You're, uh, what's the word for it? You're doxing people mm-hmm. just left and right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Uh, Like with Maria, Puerto Rico, despite being a U.S. territory, has been slow to receive federal aid. Many locals in communities that were hit hardest by the hurricane fear that the recovery needs, the like undeniable necessary recovery needs in Florida will shift attention and resources away from Puerto Rico. Yeah. Power. And that would make sense. Honestly. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Power is still out for 20 percent of Puerto Rican customers. Um, and unstable for those who do have it. 20%, that's a huge amount. Yeah. Water outages, partly due to lack of electricity, continue to affect a lot of residents there. Hospitals are operating on backup generators because of unsteady power and like running out of fuel. It's it's really awful. And it's exacerbated by the fact that more than 43% of Puerto Rico's residents live below the poverty line. Yeah which is three times the U.S. average. Mm. So this has complicated the recovery from Fiona because they don't have basic necessities like food and water and hygiene supplies. And those things have continued to be difficult to obtain since Maria. So we've Mm. had like years and years of it being um, difficult there already. Biden's administration has promised to support the people of Puerto Rico and to continue to support them. But a lot of people have criticized not only their slow response, but also the fact that the government did not shore things up after Maria. Like, yeah. they're like, we experienced this once and there was all this outcry. Fool and me said once. Shame were, on me. You yeah, know? <laughs> yeah. You said you were going to do all this stuff. Yeah. To make sure this didn't happen again. And here we are. 
So many mutual aid and humanitarian groups have stepped in to assist those in need and workers on the ground in Florida throughout the and throughout the Caribbean. So if you want to help, I'll put some links in the show notes. Excellent. For those who are suffering in Florida, you can donate to Disaster Relief at Work. It's a Michigan-based nonprofit that currently is on the ground in Florida providing relief. They accept cash donations as well as donations for specific buckets of essential supplies. Nice. So you can donate to those. And Convey of Hope is another one there in Florida, in Puerto Rico and the Dominican Republic. They have Project Hope, and it's been working in Puerto Rico since Hurricane Maria and is continuing recovery efforts all the way, like all throughout uh, the Caribbean. Okay. And the Hispanic Federation has also been on the ground in Puerto Rico supplying aid in the wake of Hurricane Fiona. Uh, There are also GoFundMes that have been set up. GoFundMe has a list of verified fundraisers on behalf of families and villages in the Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico. Uh, And there are also a lot of nonprofits, including Direct Relief, that are specifically helping those in Cuba. So I will put all of those in our show notes if you are able to, if you feel so inclined, please go check those out and um, donate. Yeah. I wanted to kind of piggyback off of what I talked about last week. And I wanted to talk a little bit about an update of what's going on in Iran because the protests are still raging over there. First thing I wanted to point out, it doesn't really have to do with anything else, but in a New York Times article that I was reading, it mentioned that Masa was the first person in her immediate family to reject the hijab, which I just Mm. found very interesting. Mm -hmm. Other than that, that's not really attached to anything else. But but, um, but it is interesting. I mean, it's indicative of the fact that like younger generations are wanting to break these cycles, wanting to be able to make decisions about their own life. And they don't necessarily want to stick to tradition in the same way as previous generations. Yeah, that's that's a universal experience right now, I think. You yeah, know? exactly. The woman who first brought Masa's story into the light, Nilafor Hamedi, was arrested last week and is being held in solitary confinement at Evan Prison. Like, can you imagine? No. According to Iran Human Rights, as of September 25th, at least 54 people have been killed and hundreds of women have been detained and abused by authorities. I tried to do a little bit of digging into the treatment of the prisoners and things like that. And I wasn't really able to find any information at the moment, but this is definitely a story that's still unfolding. But I can only imagine what these people are going through in these prisons. The government of Iran has attempted to suppress the protests by shooting protesters with birdshot and metal pellets, deploying tear gas and water cannons, and blocking access to many apps such as Instagram and WhatsApp, which limits protesters' ability to organize. Um, yeah, you see that so often now. I feel like people really understand. You saw it in Russia as well, right? Like people really understand the power of social media and the power of like community and online community and yeah. are able for the first time to kind of tell their own stories to the wider world. And they shut that shit down Real fast. Real fast. Yeah, Yeah. this is something that has been used before. There was an article that I read that was an opinion piece uh, for the Washington Post that was called Women Are Leading a Revolution in Iran. When Will Western Feminists Help? And it was a really, really good article. Mm. Um, And I wanted to just touch on one part that she was talking about, which ties into what you said, is that this revolution is held by a lot of unveiled women right now. And the author of that article says, they have overcome fear and are challenging one of the main pillars 
pillars of the Islamic Republic of Iran, the compulsory hijab. So I wanted to do a little bit of reading into that about the history of the mandatory hijab and just a little bit about all of that kind of stuff and where everybody stands, just because it's not really something that is in my experience to be educated on. Two years after the ultra-conservative Muslim cleric seized power in 1979, they required women in government offices to wear the headscarf, then all women and girls over the age of nine. It proclaimed that the hijab would protect female chastity and honor. Now, there's been a secretive survey that's been taken throughout the years by the Group for Analyzing and Measuring Attitudes in Iran, which found that about 57% of people disagreed with the mandatory practice of wearing a hijab. Their 2022 survey on political systems showed that about 67% of the target population of literate adults are against a political system governed by religious law. So this is something that is what a lot of the women in Iran are fighting against right now. And a lot of their leaders have really made them feel very unsafe. And there are also a number of women's issues that they are bringing up throughout these protests as well. Um, in 2020, Iran's government leader, Ali Khamenei, Khamenei? Khamenei, I think is... Right? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Uh, was quoted saying, improperly veiled women should be made to feel unsafe. For what? Ooh. Like, I just... for. I mean, we know why. I don't know why I keep asking these it's, questions. It's, it's control. Just control. That's all it yeah, is. Yeah, and it's it's so frustrating because, you know, we live in a country that, you know, quote unquote, there is a, a divide between, you know, church and state. In theory. In theory. Yeah. Like, we, it's not really true. Religion it, has yeah, I mean, infiltrated our government 100%, but mm-hmm. it's we are not a government governed by religion. We're not a theocracy. Yeah, yeah we're not exactly. a full-blown theocracy. Yeah. And yeah. that's the thing is like I feel like it's such a sensitive topic to discuss because I think that like with anything it's about your own autonomy and if it's your own religious choice to wear a hijab that's great, but if it's your decision to not that should be okay too and it you shouldn't, shouldn't be, be made to feel unsafe because you've made a different choice for yourself. Choice is the operative word, right? Yeah. Is like you should be able to choose. It's the same thing kind of that I feel like people on the right, these Christian nationalists who are becoming bolder and bolder and literally saying, we are Christian nationalists. Yeah. We want to make this a Christian state. Like, you know, you've got like your Boberts, your Marjorie Taylor Greens who are <sighs> actually like saying these things, right? And it's it's similar to that where it's like, you, your religion doesn't get to dictate what I do. Do you. I'm yeah. happy for you to do you. And I get that it is part of your religion. I know because I came from that religion. Like right. it is to recruit and spread the word right. and all to of that. Yeah. Proselytize and and you know, I get it. I yeah. understand that. However, it doesn't get to control policy. It doesn't get to control the everyday Americans day to day life. Or it shouldn't, right? Because it's just like I don't subscribe to your beliefs. Right. And that's how it should be. And it scares me very much that we could go that direction in this country as well. And it makes me very, very sad that that's something that people in other countries have to live with. Yeah. Like it, it's not, it's not, it's just not fair. And, yeah. it, and it makes it so much harder for those who do want to practice in a respectful way. Right. Like it, and I feel the same way about Christians in the United States who just like want to just live their faith and practice in a respectful way. I feel like there's way. almost like, an urge for those people that do want to practice just peacefully to be more extreme. Like it's almost like you can't just kind of sit in your own little peaceful bubble because it's turned into something. It's become so like divisive. I feel like that 
it almost makes people like there's like pressure to be more outspoken because you feel threatened. I definitely think there is, or they spend all of their time trying to say like, we're not like those guys. Yeah. They're like, we're not like that. Like there are Christians who aren't like that. That's what I see a lot is like, it's not all of us. Right. Like I see that all the time. And we know we're not saying and like, but it is a thing where it's just like, yes, but this is what happens whenever you have people pushing so hard to force their belief system on other people. Yes. Like, this is what's going to happen. Well, and there has to be respect that different people have different experiences with mm-hmm. their religion. And not just, it's, it's as simple as that. Yeah. Like, you can't fight against it when you don't understand what someone's personal experience is or was and in that religion. And it just doesn't make any sense either I mean just even from a religious perspective yeah I understand that like I don't know all the tenets of um the Muslim religion or Islam or anything like that I understand that I'm I'm not a, a scholar right on on that but it's the podcast where we explore the world through our own personal feminist <laughs> yes. perspectives I feel like we haven't said it in a long time but we are not uh women's history majors no <laughs> though a lot of professors listen to us and like people Surprising. that are so much smarter than us so like hi welcome (laughs) but I can say from you know my own personal experiences within like evangelical Christianity in the United States is it doesn't even make sense from a religious perspective because forcing people to adhere to your religious tenets doesn't make them any more holy like you're not you're not getting God points like they're not gonna go to heaven because like you are forcing this one aspect in you know at the end of the day, something that is a pretty superficial aspect, in my opinion. Yeah, like exactly. the way that you dress it has yeah. nothing to do with the way that you practice or who you are. You know, it has nothing to do really with whether or not you're going to get into heaven or not. Right. Well, right. Like, and I think that should be the idea. But I think that there are a lot of religions and religious sects out there where there is a, a very big tie between modesty and being able to reach heaven you know what I mean all of that kind of stuff and right, I but just forcing that one that forcing that one thing isn't going to force people certainly. to do all of the other things that yeah. they need to do to live a quote-unquote holy life it's almost so like a band-aid you, for the situation yeah. yeah it's it's all I, about the comfort of the people who are in charge and the comfort of men largely because they don't want to feel precisely a certain way about having to see you walk around without your hijab on. Yeah. And I really think that like the respect can go both ways. Like when I went to that Catholic wedding earlier, uh-huh. like past yeah, this yeah. past summer or whatever, um, like Max was freaking out because everyone was getting up for communion and mm-hmm. he was like, well, we should go. And I was like, no, it's actually like disrespectful because we don't believe in this religion anymore. If we were to just like act like we did and went through the motions. Exactly. That's more disrespectful than us keeping our seats, bowing our heads and just sitting and letting everyone else have their that moment. That is also how I feel. I think that that's what I'm trying to say is like if you really adhere to these beliefs and yeah. they are sacred to you and they mean something to you, then by all means practice because that's important to you. But by forcing other people who don't feel the same way about your religion who don't adhere to any of the other tenets. Policing, it doesn't make any sense. Right, it doesn't. It doesn't make any sense. And in fact, it feels disrespectful to your religion to have people just putting on a show for your benefit. Exactly. if, If this person didn't feel compelled to wear the hijab you shouldn't make that. It just it doesn't make any sense. To yeah, me, exactly. Other than that, it's not really about their holiness or lack thereof. It's yeah. not really about your religion. It's about 
control. Yeah. And I forgot to mention this in my notes, but while just talking about it, I remembered there was a reporter and I don't remember if she, I think she was English, but I can't remember where she was from exactly. But she had scheduled an interview with some sort of political power. Oh yeah. I talked about it last week. That's right. Yes. And she refused to wear the Uh headdress. That's right. You totally did talk about it, but I was talking about it with Max as well. And like, that is something I was reading that, you know, a lot of Um, American tourists and things like that will kind of like just comply to these things. And there was, uh, I think it was in that opinion piece that they were talking about how it's important for other people to not necessarily do that when they're visiting the country and stuff to kind of be able to stand against that. And it is hard because because you want to be respectful. You want to be respectful of the culture. This isn't a very interesting question, actually, because it's like you want to be respectful for... You want to be respectful of the culture, but what do you do when that culture is oppressive? Yeah. Right? Like whenever those things are actually actively oppressing people. Because for me, if it was a thing, like I would never go into a holy place without adhering to whatever rules are imposed in that place. Like right. I would never, you know, if, well, if I were to head go- coverings in a lot of ways are implicated in a lot of different religions. Like my mom had to have her head covered in mass as a little girl. So it is something right. that like pops if up. If I were to go, I know that there are certain places in Israel where it's yeah. like, if you were to go into this temple or into this place that you should have your head covered, I would adhere to that thing because I'm like, I'm stepping into someone's actual like religious practice. Yeah. But just existing to force your religious beliefs on people who are just existing. Yeah. In, in a space. Yeah. Feels not right. And I don't know. I mean, that's an interesting thing. I open that up to listeners to comment on because of course you want to be respectful of other people's cultures. You don't want to do things that are But you also want to stand up for the people that, are fighting and trying so hard and losing their lives, you know, to yeah. have this freedom of expression. I, I was just ho- thinking I'm off the rails today because it's our last one. So okay. I'm just saying what comes to my mind. Have you seen Sex in the City too? I was just thinking okay, that, that always God. comes to mind where Samantha's Kim Cattrall, like, yeah, she's wearing like nothing and everyone's like, oh my God, girl. <laughs> yeah. And it's hard because you watch that and she went too you, far. Yeah. And part of you is like, yeah, this is their culture. This feels disrespectful to their culture. But then at the same time, if you're like, but their culture is based and rooted in such like patriarchy yes. and misogyny. Yeah. And like, it's a man that don't give a fuck. She's yeah. like, stare at him. I Probably should have, though, in that movie. Uh- <laughs> All right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I forgot that like a bunch of shit goes down yeah. there. Is that the, is it the first or the second one? I think it's the first one where Charlotte poops her pants. Yeah. In, she, in uh, she Mexico. Pake- she Poughkeepsie in her pants. Yeah. I love I watch those movies on airplanes all the time. They're so bad. They're so bad. bad. But that's what I need on an airplane. Yes. It's an airplane movie for sure. Yeah. Okay. All right. We will stop chattering for a very quick break and then we're going to be right back. Okay. Are you ready to shop? Rakuten's Big Give Week is back. Get 15% back at hundreds of stores and it's all happening this week, May 6th to May 13th. It's the perfect time to shop for everything on your list for spring and summer, like clothing, outdoor gear, and travel. I know I'm using this week to stock up on some warmer weather essentials at Ray-Ban and Ulta, and I love that Rakuten even helps me save on travel at sites like Hotels.com. Rakuten really is the best way to shop, and you can save even more by stacking cash back on top of deals. Plus, during Big Give Week, that cash back is bigger than ever. 
With Rakuten, membership is free. And when you sign up and shop today, you get an extra 10% cashback boost. That's an extra 10% cashback on top of the 15% cashback. You won't see higher cashback rates than these. Go to Rakuten.com or download the Rakuten app. R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Shoppers get it. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. And we are back. Okay, so I wanted to talk about something that is both, it's, it's bittersweet, it's good and bad. So thousands of Virginia high school students walked out of school on Tuesday, September 27th, to protest proposed guidelines put forward by Governor Glenn Youngkin that would restrict protections for transgender students. Students from nearly 100 high schools staged walkouts across the state to protest against the new policies, holding signs criticizing the guidelines and waving pride flags in support of their LGBTQ plus peers. So if adopted, school districts would tighten restrictions on trans students. The policy reversal is under a 30-day public comment period, so it hasn't passed yet. It's got like 30 days, I guess, to pass. It would require students to use school facilities that match their biological sex and would require schools to defer to parents about students' names, nicknames, and pronouns. Yeah, this was a lot like the one that we talked about a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that one was is very you have to like go through the parents get the permission have Mm -hmm. a counseling session sign off it's Mm -hmm. just a very intrusive process and this one is like they have to have a written permission like the parents have to fill out a form like and it has to be turned in and only then would the teachers be allowed to refer to the student by even a nickname like that's absurd to me (laughs) yeah (laughs) that's absolutely absurd because i mean you let i mean if you really want to like think about it like Maddie is a nickname when I went by Maddie growing Uh up like that doesn't make any sense to me because when you put nickname into the the equation you're opening it's a very broad right so we can't call somebody who's named Christopher Chris can't call you Keeks right like it's it doesn't really make any sense doesn't Um, make any sense in past policies, it was recommended that the school refer to students' preferred identities without asking parents first. Like, they were like, yeah, this is your student. Part of your job is to develop a rapport and a relationship with that student. And make sure they feel safe if they do come to you. And right, yeah. So react they, appropriately in a, in a way that you're there for the student. At one school, West Potomac High, walkouts were organized by the student-led Pride Liberation Project, Uh, which is a Virginia-based LGBTQIA advocacy group. Every student wants to tell their parents about themselves. The reason that so many can't is because if they do, they'll be subjected to abuse and homelessness. And this was uh, the Pride Liberation Project. They tweeted that out. Yeah. Luckily, it does appear as though Youngkin will face an uphill battle. Even if the proposal gets approved, recent federal protections for transgender students allow them to use whatever bathroom matches their gender identity. And Democrats from the state are already alleging that the guidelines would violate the Virginia Human Rights Act, which protects individuals in public settings, including schools, from discrimination on the basis of gender. Mm. So... 
it's hopefully that works. Hopefully it doesn't end up passing or even if it does, it's going to face a lot of issues um, down the road. I'm always so proud when there are these like student led protests and walkouts and things like yeah, that. And it's that's, very that's inspiring to me. Why I said it was bittersweet is because the fact that this is happening. So as we've mentioned previously, anti-transgender bills are cropping up all across the country. According to the Washington Post, at least 300 pieces of legislation have been proposed seeking to bar transgender athletes from school sports, limit teachers' ability to offer lessons on gender identity and sexuality, pull books featuring LGBTQ characters from school shelves, and criminalize the provision of hormone therapy to minors. On July 1st alone, 10 anti-LGBTQ laws went into effect, all yeah. targeting schools. So I say it's bittersweet because it is so upsetting and sad that this is happening in the first place and that it is happening on such a huge scale all at once. You know, something I was reading was the students don't feel safe outside of school because they see all of this anti-LGBTQ legislation um, being pushed and pushed and pushed, especially in a lot of these red states. Right. And then these things, these protections that were in place to protect them while they're at school, are they're starting away. to see that those are going away too. And that is so scary. And that makes me so sad. But it Kids also, have enough reason to be scared at school. Uh, absolutely. But it also makes me so proud to see kids standing up for their rights and fighting back and organizing. And it just shows so much care too. Like we've come so far as a younger generation because we grew up in a time that was so outwardly homophobic and transphobic. Um, I've been listening to the Always Sunny podcast. Mm -hmm. They go back and like watch old episodes and then talk about it. And they're like, oh my God, we would never like do this now. It's changed so fast. There's a lot of things. And so as a person who, you know, came from a time where you would say if something was weird, it was gay. Seeing a bunch of kids, instead of bullying somebody for those things, they're actually standing up for each Mm -hmm. other for those things. So to me, it just shows so much love and acceptance and like that's what makes me so happy it makes me so sad to see their sadness and anger and frustration but I'm like wow look how far we've come as as like a younger society that we don't have like that's not a thing that we have to bully each other about you know yeah (laughs) oh geez well my last topic is very on brand for both of us (laughs) so I wanted to discuss Netflix's monster Dahmer situation I tried I I I literally watched the first Um, 20 minutes and couldn't do it yeah I I'm I'm not gonna lie to you I watched the first two episodes I watched the first two episodes and (laughs) want to say it one more time by the end of the second episode I was just like I this feels icky icky it just it it felt like trauma porn to me exploitative yeah I just I don't and I, and I did feel, I, when I was watching it, I did feel like, because in the first episode, you can kind of be like, oh, spoiler. So I guess if you're watching it, fast forward. But like, I mean, episode, this is real life. Come on. <laughs> you, in the first episode, you can kind of be like, okay, he got away, right? But the the rest of the victims don't. don't. And I just kept thinking about like, what would their family members feel like and there's while been, watching this? There's been a lot of family members that have started to come forward as well. And I'm going to talk about that. So I didn't even get through the first episode. I turned it off because I 
like again, I guess spoiler, but the first kind of like big scene in the mo- in the show is that there's a man that is kind of just being kept in this apartment, and it's a very it's like a game of cat and mouse. Right, almost. he's lured there, and it's very. And then once he's inside, he's continue. He's still lured and played with and toying around with, and, and it made it feel uncomfortable. Yeah. yeah, and it just it was so triggering to my yeah. anxiety. It was like, oh my God, he can't get out. He can't get out. Oh my God, which yes. is a huge fear of mine. It's you know? very so scary. I like That was a little much for me. And I was like, I don't need this right now. So I'm going to turn this off. Um, I know the story very well. And I, I'm going to say before we talk about a lot of the negatives, I'm actually going to mention some of the positive reviews and things that critics have been saying. There have been people that have appreciated the fact that the show has highlighted the racism and homophobia uh-huh. within the investigation yeah, yeah. and within Dahmer himself about how he chose his victims. Uh-huh. Because at this time and still now, I'm sure, but if you were a black man, if you were a gay man, if you were a black gay man, your case would not be taken as seriously by police officers. I mean, gay stuff was icky to them. They right. didn't want to talk about it and look e- into even it. Even beyond that is... You know, I've seen the documentary about Dahmer, which yeah. is much better. If you're if you're wanting to learn or something about this case, there is a documentary where they interview a lot of the people who lived in the apartment building. Yeah, and it's that, not as grotesque. It, it's not as grotesque, and also it really highlights and is something that I do feel like the show is trying to do highlights not only the the victims and their cases not being taken seriously, but all of the people mostly people of color who lived in his building or around Jeffrey Dahmer who knew something was wrong and tried continuously to get help and get support. And because of who they were, were never taken seriously. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's a story yeah. of society failing so many yeah. people. It's absolutely devastating. And I think that that's like a Ryan Murphy, in my opinion is known for, uber dramatizing things that are already right. really terrible. I was worried it was going to be really campy, which it doesn't feel campy. It doesn't feel campy, but it feels like very, it's just like, we're going to take you down to the pits of hell and I'm dragging you with me, you know, and all well, this and kind of stuff. You're watching at the end of the day, you're watching it for entertainment. It is right. a show that is meant to, uh, you know, and I, I, love, I didn't feel entertained. So I turned it off. I love horror movies. I love that kind of thing. Obviously, like I enjoy that feeling of being scared and stuff like that. I don't want to watch somebody's real life trauma for exactly. my entertainment like it that. It feels voyeurish. Yeah. That's a word. Voyeuristic. Voyeuristic. So there was a family member by the name of Rita Isbell, whose brother Errol Lindsay was one of Dahmer's victims, who was depicted in the show without her consent. And yeah. she said watching the show was very re-traumatizing to her. I'm not surprised by that because I know who that is. And I saw yeah. the clip in the trailer where there was the reenactment. And the clip in the trailer looks exactly like her. And it's like if they didn't the same get, outfit, same everything. Yeah, yeah. If they didn't get her consent to do that, that is I would be very triggered. And by that's that. a and that's a big thing for me. After I started, I watched it without really knowing any of these things. And then it was yeah, shortly same. after I watched, I started yeah. seeing it and I was just like, it was a reason why, you know, I love Judy Garland. I was like, I'm not gonna watch Judy if Liza says no. You know what I mean? I was very against it for that same reason. Um, Errol's cousin elaborated on Rita's statements on Twitter saying that the production didn't notify any of the family members Mm. and really drove home how they kind of found out about the show when everyone else did and how I don't like that awful it's been to watch um 
people are also calling out the show for exploiting black trauma. And on, and then, like I said, on the flip side, saying that they're appreciating the fact that they're telling these stories of these victims and things like that. But I think that it is it is something to point out that it because to me it was it was the stretch of time in that scene and the amount of pain and agony i i can understand how that would be an oh issue. I, I wouldn't want to watch it as as a family member of the victim like and that's kind of where i get to i i understand that Dahmer is such a fascinating character because he is so outside the norm of regular right and, like, and i that think there's a, yeah. interesting to see and i understand why things keep getting made from his perspective because we are so struggling to understand how a person's brain can work like that however i don't think that there have been it's kind of like there was that um ted bundy documentary on um amazon that was from the per- perspective of the victims it was very much it was the women it's called like the women i can't remember what it was called i enjoyed it i enjoyed that one a lot too but But then we have the zac efron bundy movie where exactly showing him as this sexy guy and i feel like if it's possible to do a Dahmer movie that is more from because i see that the show was attempting to make sure that the victims had sympathy attempting to make sure that the people who lived in the house were getting or in the apartment were getting their due in terms of like they were cuz you what have they were to tell to the do. story but if there's a way to tell the story that was more victims focused and less yeah. Dahmer focused. Well, and that's what I was going to say. I think there's a way to do it and we're doing it wrong. I think yeah. that people have gotten high off of this like true crime craze and that kind of sickens me. Um, I think that you shouldn't. And I, I just think that we need to change even just the terminology of like entertainment and things right. like that, because I think that we have to be able to, like we should always be disturbed by the things that we're in taking. I think that that's just human. We should never be like desensitized to these horrible things that we watch. But I think that it really is the responsibility of these filmmakers who can understand that while there is this huge hype and expectations, there's ways to be, you know, to make good filmmaking and good storytelling without it glorifying the killers or tainting the memory of the victims Mm -hmm. or being salacious. Like ID is really known for being very salacious. Their wording is not great. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that there just needs to be more responsibility in all of those communities because it is so publicized that people need to start telling the right story. And I, and again, I do understand because we also do need to learn to understand the people that had the struggles that Jeffrey Dahmer did. Yes. I don't know how we would fix it. Like, yeah. I don't know if someone was like, I'm going to kill someone. I'd be like, I don't know what to do with you. Well, and more um, than it's more than that. I think that that's what makes it so fascinating. He, it's what makes him so fascinating. Yeah. It's like it, his impulses and all of that stuff is so strange. Yeah. That like, we want to understand it. Yes. I get why it keeps happening, but I just feel like we sometimes lose sight. This true crime craze. Yeah. We lose sight that like, these are, people like his, yeah. his victims are people they have family members that are still alive yeah that have to live with the fact that this person did these absolutely heinous things to and their family and we're upcycling the story again and every, right. people are going to be calling the family asking for interviews right. and comments and, and all this kind of stuff just yeah you're dredging it up over and over again i will say um 
Evan Peters is great. I love Evan Peters. <laughs> he's, he's he's he comes into the store sometimes. He's sold really? he's sold a bunch of stuff. Like one day, uh, I saw my friend. I was like, "Oh, nice shirt." She's like, "Thanks." It was Evan Peters. I bought it as soon as he well, went to I the bet. Store. <laughs> yeah, he he is really good in this movie. He he's played a lot of serial killers. That's the one thing I'm like, okay, can we see a different note? Yes, true. I would like to see some some verity. Yeah, I loved him in Mayor of East Town. East Town. Yeah, he's oh, great. He in was that. so great in that. And I do have to say. Speaking about a Ryan Murphy true crime story, I saw the Versace one. Mm-hmm. I really liked it. Oh yeah, I didn't watch it, but yeah, I've heard that those. I are mean, I would good. still recommend it. I really, I thought yeah. that that one was actually really well done, and I feel like that's almost a story that there hasn't been enough exploration into the background mm-hmm. of those people yes. where it was very eye opening. And I don't remember. I remember there being some scenes that were very intense, but I don't remember it being like torture porn. Yeah, yeah, you know? and it it. Yeah, I will say it continues to feel like that. Yeah. Uh, And then, of course, just like you feel this trauma of the frustration from the public about the lack of police response. Mm -hmm. Because in the second episode, it's the one where the 14-year-old boy escapes and the cops give him back. Yeah. Oh, my God. I hate that story. Yeah. I don't think I can watch that. Like, It's awful. Yeah. It's awful. It's Mm. really awful. And so, yeah, I wouldn't recommend watching that show. Um, It's... (laughs) I mean, like, I... (sighs) It's so, I feel like everyone who's going to watch it has watched it. The thing has been watched over like 10 million times or something like that. Yeah, curiosity is a powerful thing. And I get it. And I think there's a lot of people that don't think about those kinds of things when they're consuming their true crime and whatever. But I'm here to say, let's be conscious about our crimey habits and what we consume and how we think about these stories and process that information. Uh, All that fun stuff. So, well, what time are we at? We're at 42 minutes. <laughs> I knew it. I was like, it's going to be a 45 minute it's okay. mini for sure. It's still less than an hour. So yes. it's a mini. So um, I'm not going to give my big goodbye okay. on, this, on this episode. Can you give a mini goodbye? I will. Yes. Because I'm going to give my, my goodbye goodbye on the next episode. But because I don't know if everyone listens to both episodes every week. I do want to just say that I have really loved being your host, your co-host on this show for the last four and a half years. Um, You have all been such incredible, wonderful listeners. This has been such an amazing community to be a part of, and you've always made me feel so welcome. And even when I've made mistakes, you've never made me feel Uh, less than for any of the mistakes I've ever made on this show. And I appreciate you all so much. I'm going to miss doing this every week. And I hope that you continue to uh, reach out to me anytime. I'm always so excited to hear from you. Uh, and yeah, I'm going to stop because I'm crying. So we have uh, another episode to do and we're both in tears already. So, um, you all know the spiel. Listen to a past episode and listen to everything. Review if you want to. Yada yada yada. Uh, I don't. I don't think I can do the ending right now. So, with all of that being said, we encourage you to, to rage, rage on. on. Bye. 
Hey there, it's Rachel Ballinger, and I am extremely excited to invite you to Rachel Uncensored. It's my podcast where I sit down and get real with my friends and celebrity guests where we talk about all sorts of topics. And sometimes we might be under the influence when we do so. We cover things from personal stories to hot button issues. And it's the only place on the internet you can find an uncensored version of me. It's a side of me that you might not have seen before because it's not the most family or brand friendly. But don't worry, I'm still sort of slightly a decent human being. If you're intrigued, then make sure you check it out. New episodes drop every Wednesday. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Trust me, you won't want to miss out on the fun and candid conversations we have here on Rachel Uncensored.